Hi, this is Dr. Gwen. Today is Thursday, December 17th, 2009. It actually would be my mother-in-law's 99th birthday if she were still alive. Um, so I was thinking about her. And the other thing that has happened in my life is my father died um, on the day after Thanksgiving. It'll be three weeks tomorrow. And, and no matter how old somebody is or how ill they are, I still lost my father, and uh, it's been hard, as I know many of you are going through this. I had lost my mother quite some time ago to breast cancer, so that's probably why I talk so much about breast cancer. And now losing my father seemed to bring back a lot of um, memories about losing her, particularly because I was primarily the one taking down his house, and it's the end of an, uh, end of a dynasty. So that's why I chose this article to talk about today, and um, this just spoke to me, because my father was a two to three pack a day smoker. My mother was also a smoker, but my father had smoked since the age of 16 until his death at the age of 84. In fact, the night before he died was Thanksgiving, and he came to my house, and uh, I know his, he had his last cigarette here. The cigarettes always, I always felt they came between me and my relationship with him because I often felt he would have, I even said it to him once, I just remember, that he would have given me up for cigarettes. And he said, oh no, he wouldn't. And I know he wouldn't. But it was an incredible addiction for him. And as we went through the house, we were amazed at how everything had a, an orange sort of brown covering on everything, on walls, on dishes, on drawers, throughout the home, and I can't only imagine what his lungs were like. He ended up having a cardiac arrest, and uh, he had had bladder and prostate cancer and had been diagnosed with failure to thrive. So he, he was dying, but we did think we had more time with him. But anyway, this article is called Exposure to Secondhand Cigarette Smoke Over a Lifetime Increased Breast Cancer Risk Later in Life. And I suppose I want to talk about this one because I know uh, I was exposed to secondhand smoke for a long time, and that's why I ended up for years having asthma. And I still get a little bit of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, I suppose, with bronchitis during the winter months. I don't seem to have asthma anymore. But I had asked him not to smoke in front of me, and that was, oh, that was always difficult because I also knew how much it meant to him. So let me, let me go over this article. Exposure to secondhand smoke for a prolonged period of time and in high quantity may increase the risk of breast cancer, even in women who never smoked cigarettes themselves. The question of whether exposure to side-stream smoke could increase risk of breast cancer is one that is unresolved. And this is from Peggy Reynolds, uh, a senior research scientist at the Northern California Cancer Center's Berkeley office. And she stated, while no single epidemiological study can answer the question, their findings suggest that cumulative high levels of exposure may contribute to breast cancer, adding to the evidence for a variety of other adverse health outcomes. Details of this study is published in Cancer Epidemiology, Biomarkers, and Prevention, which is a journal of the American Association for Cancer Research. This is a, the December issue apparently focuses uh, specifically on tobacco studies. 
Reynolds and colleagues examined the risk of developing breast cancer among women who had never smoked tobacco products or who had a history of exposure to secondhand smoke either at home, at work, or in social settings. Participants also had no history of breast cancer. The researchers collected detailed information via questionnaire from more than 57,000 women in the California Teachers Study, then followed them for a decade. Detailed questions helped the researchers to determine whether age and exposure, setting of exposure, or amount of exposure influenced the risk of developing breast cancer. In the years since completing the questionnaire, 1,754 newly diagnosed cases of invasive breast cancer occurred. Overall, findings showed no evidence that simple measures of secondhand smoke were associated with breast cancer risk. Risks seem to be confined to exposures experienced during adulthood among women ages 20 or older, and primarily among those who were postmenopausal. Early life exposures before the age of 20 did not alone appear to increase their risk. Women exposed to moderate to high levels for a combination of years and intensity of exposure had a significant dose response so that risks for developing breast cancer increased as the cumulative exposure levels increased. The author had said that they were initially surprised not to see much effect individually for exposure in household, workplace, or social settings, but it does make sense because if there is an effect for higher levels of exposure, the sum of exposures across settings would be more important than only partial measures of exposure. Based on the findings, the author suggested that more research is needed to better assess overall exposure patterns. So I think this adds fuel to the fire that we need to start speaking up about uh, the potential risks of when we are near someone we love who smokes. You have to think of your own life. Sometimes it's okay to be a little selfish. Okay, the next one is also very interesting, and this is it's an op-ed piece out of the New York Times. It was published on December 6, 2009 by Nicholas Kristoff, and it's called Cancer from the Kitchen. This one opens up a, a lot of thought for uh, discussion. The battle over healthcare focuses on access to insurance or tempests like the one that erupted over new mammogram guidelines. And if those of you who aren't from the United States, uh, there's been a, a, a big brouhaha in the U.S. as a, a, um, a physician group endorsed that women do not need, need routine mammograms during their 40s, which had been um, a routine up until, well, it still is. There's many fighting this new recommendation. But then this is, what about broader public health challenges? What if breast cancer in the U.S. has less to do with insurance or mammograms and more to do with contaminants in our water or air or in certain plastic containers in our kitchens, which I've reported on that before? What if the surge in asthma and childhood leukemia reflect in part the poisons we impose upon ourselves? This author had attended a symposium at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York, exploring whether certain common chemicals are linked to breast cancer and other ailments. The chair of the Department of Preventive Medicine at Mount Sinai said that the risk that a 50-year-old white woman, white woman will develop breast cancer has soared to 12% today, up from 1% in 1975. But there is a caveat that could be that there'd be... Do have better detection methods. 
Younger people also seem to develop breast cancer. In fact, there's a case of a 10-year-old in California who is fighting breast cancer, and she's recording her struggle on a blog. Likewise, asthma rates have tripled over the last 25 years. Childhood leukemia is increasing by 1% per year. Obesity has surged. One factor may be lifestyle changes, like less physical exercise and more stress and fast food, but some chemicals may also play a role. Take breast cancer, for example. One puzzle has been that most women living in Asia have low rates of breast cancer, but ethnic Asian women born and raised in the U.S. don't enjoy that benefit. The, at the symposium, the surgeon specializing in breast cancer pointed to a chart showing breast cancer rates by ethnicity. If an Asian woman moves to New York, her daughters will be in this column, she said, pointing to whites. It is something to do with the environment. So it's not an ethnic. What's happening? One theory starts with the well-known fact that women with more lifetime menstrual cycles are at greater risk for breast cancer because they're exposed to more estrogen. For example... A woman who began menstruating before 12 has a 30% greater risk of breast cancer than one who began at 15 or later. It's also well established that Western women are beginning puberty earlier and going through medical pediatrician at Mount Sinai Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Unit told the symposium that American girls in the year 1800 had their first period on average at about age 17. By 1900, that dropped to 14. Now it is 12. And you know, given that we have an extended lifespan, you'd almost think it would be going the other way. A number of studies, mostly in animals, have linked early puberty to exposure to pesticides, PCBs, and other chemicals. One class of chemicals that creates concerns, although the evidence is not definitive, is endocrine disruptors, which are often similar to estrogen and may fool the body into setting off hormonal changes. This used to be a fringe theory, but is now treated with great seriousness by the Endocrine Society, which is the Professional Association of Hormone Specialists in the United States. These endocrine disruptors are found in everything from certain plastics to various cosmetics. There's a ton of stuff around that has estrogenic material in it. There's makeup that you rub into your skin for a youthful appearance that is really estrogen. See, I, I find this most disconcerting. More than 80,000 new chemicals have been developed since World War II, according to the Children's Environmental Health Center at Mount Sinai. Even of the major chemicals, fewer than 20% have been tested for toxicity to children. Representative Louise Slaughter, the only microbiologist, microbiologist in the House of Representatives, introduced legislation this month that would establish a comprehensive program to monitor endocrine disruptors. That's a great idea, but it's long precedent for a public health effort against a toxic substance. The removal of lead from gasoline resulted in an 80% decline in lead levels in our blood since 1976, along with a six-point gain in children's IQ scores. The doctors were asked what they would do in their homes to reduce risks. They said that they avoid and please remember this. Avoid microwaving food in plastic or putting plastics in the dishwasher because heat may cause chemicals to leach out. And the symposium handed out a reminder card listing safer plastics as those marked 
usually at the bottom of the container 1, 2, 4, or 5. It suggests that the plastics to avoid are those numbered 3, 6, and 7, unless they are marked BPA-free. Yes, the evidence is uncertain, but we must, we must toss out any plastics that are labeled 3, 6, and 7. Spread the word. And that's all I have for today. Um, as the holiday nears, I wish you all a time to reflect on the wonderful things you have in your life, particularly your loved ones, because one never knows what can happen. And I, my heart goes out for all of you who are suffering as I suffer and mourn. And I ask you to say a little prayer for our family. And I wish you all joy. I wish you health. And I wish you, I wish you happiness. I'll probably talk to you in the new year. This is Jessica.